the book of Leviticus. Now remember the story of the Bible began with humans in God's presence, but they were banished because of their rebellion. However, God wants to be in relationship with us. So he chooses one family that he will use to restore the world back into his presence. And so God's presence comes to dwell in a tent right in the middle of Israel. And that's great. But it creates a problem because it's so intense that Moses can't go in and other priests who enter inappropriately, they die. Well, wait, if God's presence is good, how is it all of a sudden dangerous for people? So think of it this way. God's presence is like the sun. It's pure power and goodness. And when something mortal and corruptible gets close to such pure power, it's destroyed. And so the word holiness is used in Leviticus to describe God's pure and powerful presence, which, like the sun, is both good and dangerous. So the point of Leviticus is to show how corrupt Israelites can live near God's goodness without being destroyed. Okay, happy Mother's Day. I racked my brain. I said, what, what could I preach to encourage these moms? And I said, you know what? Leviticus 11, unclean animals is what they need. As much of my life as I spent dirty in the mud and my mom had to clean me up, this is the perfect sermon. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles with you, Leviticus 11 and verse 1, I guarantee you, you have not heard a, a Mother's Day sermon on this passage. Um, I could almost guarantee most of you, you've never heard a sermon on this passage. And so I pray, as we did last week, that we will look through the text, explain the text, and then apply it to our lives. Um, Because if we're honest, many of us have always struggled with some passages in the Old Testament. Some we dismiss as harsh. Some we struggle with because they see so far removed from our modern life that we cannot conceive mentally of how they would ever apply in our lives. And so with that, look at Leviticus 11. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus at the front of your Bible. And the big picture today is is simply this. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Leviticus 11. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, tell the Israelites... You may eat all of these kinds of land animals. You may eat any animal with divided hooves that chews the cud. Now, I know when you go to the grocery store, you make sure when you're at the freezer, the freezer section, you're thinking, okay, which one, what hooves did this animal have before I bring it home? Verse four, but among the ones that chew the cud or have divided hooves, you are not to eat of these. Camels. Though they chew the cud, they do not have divided hooves. They are unclean for you. Hyraxes, or you might, have, you might know this as the rock badger. Uh, though they chew the cud, they do not have hooves. They are unclean for you. Hares, though they chew the cud, do not have hooves. They are unclean for you. Pigs, though they have divided hooves, they do not chew the cud. They are unclean for you. Do not eat of any of their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. This is the perfect Mother's Day passage. (laughs) Of all the bugs I've brought in our house over time. Um, Look at verse 13 really quick. You're not to abhor these birds. You are sorry, you are to abhor these birds. They must not be eaten because they are abhorrent. Eagles, bearded vultures, Egyptian vultures, 
kites, any kind of falcon, every kind of raven, ostrich, short-eared owls, gulls, every kind of hawk, little owls, cormorants, long-eared owls, barn owls, eagle owls. There's an assault on owl life here. Ospreys, storks, any kind of heron, hoopoes, and bats. But you may eat, in verse 22, you may eat locusts, katydid, crickets, and grasshoppers. But, verse 29, these are unclean, measles and weasels. Some of you are actually in your Bible and you got that mistake. Mice, any kind of large lizard. I get an amen from some, some of the moms on that one. Geckos, monitor lizards, common lizards, skinks, and chameleons. Now, the, the dude in me just wonders, if you were to eat a chameleon, would it change colors after you eat it? Um, some of us will never know. Um, how in the world do we take this part of God's truth and apply it to our lives? I, I would doubt that any of you have a camel in the crock pot for lunch. Um, now, let me just say this. For those of you who went to Israel, it says you cannot eat a camel or touch a dead camel. I have my camel license where I rode a, a camel. So I am still clean. But we need the prayer and the, and the Holy Spirit to water us today. I think this is a very confusing text. And so we're gonna run through it and explain that and then say, Lord, help us live it out. So let's pray. Father, it is only by your spirit that we can understand your truth. Lord, help us do that today. Help us trust in you more. Father, all of your word, every sentence, every thought is given for our good and our instruction, for reproof, for, rec for correction, and for benefit and building up in the community of faith. And Lord, we ask that you would radically focus our minds, that you would stir our hearts, that we would know you more, and that we would leave here trusting you like never before. But Lord, we cannot do this without the power of your Holy Spirit that we desperately need this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. The struggle for many of us is that um, this is so far removed from modern life that you don't even know what we're talking about. I will confess, I have never gone to the grocery store and looked for 90% of these animals. I had to look up what a hoopo was. I, I've never eaten a, a long-eared owl or a barn owl or an eagle owl or the short-eared owl. So how in the world does God want us to, to live this out? I want to give you three keys in reading Leviticus I want to try to systemize this and then we're going to apply it to our lives. So is that fair? So we're going to work through this biblically and then we're going to say, Lord, help us live it out in a way that honors you. So key number one in Leviticus. And if you were here last week or two weeks ago, this is going to make a lot of sense to you. Key number one, the narrative or the story of God supersedes or actually helps us understand the law of God. Okay? So think, when you read Leviticus and there's much law, I want you not to think law, but I want you to think story. Okay? So the story frames the house. The law is the furniture in the house. 
Does that make sense? So with that, the last story we had in Leviticus was Leviticus chapter 10. If you were here two weeks ago, Nadab and Abihu, what happened to these two priests? They died because they walked into the house of God in a manner that was unworthy by God's design. So the story tells us we have to approach the throne of God with holiness. That's the last story. The next story next week is Leviticus 16. And you might think, well, that, I have no clue what that might be, Pastor. Well, you have your Bibles. You can cheat and turn there. Or you might know it by this, the day of atonement. It's interesting that in the day of atonement, the first part of that story reminds us of Nadab and Abihu, that we are called to be holy and yet we are not. And God has provided an atoning sacrifice for you and for I. So don't get lost in the law. Think story. Think story. The story is that frames us. God is holy and he is righteous and his desire is that his people be holy and righteous. Second key, the law of Leviticus does not prescribe the necessary ingredients to obtain a relationship with God. Now, I just blew some of your minds. You think, well, I've always understood that the Old Testament shows us how to have a relationship with God. No, wrong. Leviticus is all about the community of faith maintaining a relationship with God. There's a major difference between maintaining a relationship with God and obtaining a relationship for God. The Old Testament reminds us that it is by grace and faith that God's people are his people. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us this, that by faith, the people of God crossed the Red Sea and though they were on dry land, God provided. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. That's, that's pre-Leviticus. Hebrews chapter 11, same verse, reminds us that by faith, the walls of Jericho came crumbling down. That's in Joshua. That's after Leviticus. God is screaming at us, even through the Old Testament. It is not about what you do. It's about what he has done. And that's key. That is not a New Testament concept. Grace and mercy is cemented in Leviticus. This is all about maintaining relationship, not obtaining relationship. Key point number three. And if you, if you want to read more on that, uh, read Leviticus, or read Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. That reminds us daily that it is by faith that Abraham was justified. By faith, the patriarchs serve the Lord. By faith, by faith, by faith. What, is, what do we need in our life? Faith, faith. Key point number three. Three, Jesus, I know some of you are already going there. You're like, these, these lies do not apply to us because of Jesus. Key point number three, Jesus came to do what to the law? Fulfill the law, not abolish the law, right? So Jesus did not say, throw the Old Testament out, done, closed, mail it home. The new covenant is here. The old covenant is gone. Drink the new cup. Let's move on. No, Jesus says to his church that he has come to fulfill the law. What does that look like, though? 
What the Lord began in Leviticus, the call of righteousness upon his covenant people, he continues today. So the same God that gave his people rules to live by to maintain holiness is the same God that desires that you and I live in holiness. Now, things are different. We're going to talk about that. But it's the same God. It's the same desire. It's the same holiness. It's the same grace. And we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter, you know, the Peter, the guy that um, loved Christ, that would chop off ears for Christ, but that would also betray Christ in his time of need. This Peter is praying and he receives a vision from heaven in Acts chapter 10. And this is what he sees. He sees heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by four corners to the earth. So it's coming from heaven to the earth. So who's lowering it? I don't know, but whoever's in heaven. So I would say God or his angelic heavenly host. So right, because it's coming from heaven, you and I aren't lowering it. I think this is just, this is cool for us now. In it were four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And the voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said in verse 14, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything pure or ritually unclean. Now, my mind's thinking, well, what are these animals? How big does a sheet have to be to carry these animals? Here's what you now know. You know the animals. What animals does Peter see? He sees a camel and a hyrax and a hoopoe and a long-eared owl and not to be left out, the short-eared owl and their other cousin, the barn owl. And we see all of these things and Peter looks at them and he goes right to Leviticus and he says, God, you told me not to touch them and I have not. And here is the response. A voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. Now, if you are using your mind this morning, you're gonna say this, very clearly in Leviticus, the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit by God says that these animals are unclean. And that's exactly what Peter says. God, you said these are unclean. I agree with your words. And now God is saying they are unclean. What is happening here? Well, what has happened is God gave this to help the people maintain relationships but it was obtained by grace. Now through Christ, our relationship is not maintained by what we do, but it's maintained in Christ. The holiness is the same, but the rules look different. My righteousness is maintained not by my efforts. It is maintained by the blood of the Savior who died on my behalf. And that's what Peter now understands. God, you still want me to be holy, but I'm not now holy by what I eat. I'm holy by the the bread that was broken for me, the blood, the wine that was shed on my behalf. Do not, church, ignore or unhitch yourself from the Old Testament because this is God's word and his truth in your life. So those are our three keys. Let's look at these animals and then we'll apply these in our lives. So what we want to do as humans is this. Well, these do not make sense. Uh, Anyone know why the camel, we can't eat it? 
No, okay, good. But what we want to do is, Lord, give us some type of system. Help us make sense of all this. Why does God hate the owl? Why, why is God giving a holy assault against the cormorant? Why would this happen? And, and throughout the ages, scholars have attempted to systemize all of these animals. And so some would say, well, they're symbolic. And they allegorize these animals. So for instance, Philo, the ancient historian and the great um, allegorizer, um, says it this way. I, I love his approach. He says that chewing the cud indicated contemplation and reflection on the law, thus making an animal unclean. So the cow chews the cud and reminds us that we meditate upon the law of the Lord and so it is clean. He would also say, well, that the cow has uh, divided hooves and that, remember, that reminds us that we should have um, right discernment and division in our lives. And so that's reminding us of God's faithfulness in our life. The sheep, he would argue, reminds us that the Lord is the good shepherd and the dirty habits of the pig remind us that we are to avoid filth in our lives. Here's the problem with that. The camel chews the cud. So why is it unclean? So not everything fits in this neat symbolic box. Some would say, well, it's ethical. Obviously, um, God is giving them dietary laws to reduce the number of slaughtering of animals in the ancient world. So God doesn't want every animal to die. And so he says, look, you can only kill these animals. If that's the case, if it's ethical, why does God just not ask his community to be vegans? I mean, does that, I mean, if God says don't kill animals, why does God say you can kill these animals? Again, why does God hate the owl? Some would say, well, they're hygienic. That they would say, well, God is protecting his people from certain diseases. In Exodus 15, God tells his people, if you obey me, that the diseases in Egypt will not afflict my people in the promised land. And I, I was taught that, I heard that, hey, the pigs were unclean. They had trigonosis, and so God was protecting his people from the pigs, specifically. Um, several thoughts of that. If it's dietary, um, one, free roaming pigs rarely have trigonosis. Now, I'm not a pig expert, but that's what the pig experts tell me, okay? So don't email me later about the pigs. Um, secondly, if it's dietary, then why would Peter now be able to eat these unclean, dirty animals? So it cannot be strictly dietary. Um, some would say it's morphological. So some would say that these animals have deviated from the normal standards and practices that God has created them to be. So for instance... We have animals that chew the cud, but they walk in creepy ways. They, they don't have hooves, they have um, paws. So that's not normal. So God says, you can't eat these animals because they're not, they're not um, by the standard that I have created them. Uh, Mary Douglas was one of the pioneers of this movement. Um, the struggle with that is not every animal fits in that system. And some would simply say it's theological. Hey, we don't know, but obviously uh, the pagans use pigs for sacrifice. And so God said, don't use, don't eat these animals because they're unclean. Don't be like your pagan neighbors. Here's a big problem with that. The Egyptians slaughtered bulls for worship. The Canaanites killed bulls for worship. The Israelites killed 
bulls. So if it's theological, then why, why are the practices of Israel the same like everyone else? So let me give you my, uh, my, my in-depth theological doctor of philosophy Leviticus summary. Why do these restrictions, why were they given to Israel? You ready? We don't know. We don't know. They're obviously not entirely ethical. They're obviously not entirely dietary. They're obviously not entirely theological. So we want to really unpack what does that mean for me? I think this is where uh, we will grow in our faith and our understanding today. So let's look back at these structures in our life. So what does it mean for us, God? How in the world can we make sense? This is your word to us. First, If I cannot put the law of God into a neat little box, God, nor his son, nor his spirit can be placed in a neat little box, systematized, categorized, and worshiped. If we can't, we want to put this in a neat little box and say, God, explain yourself. And if we can't do that with these rules, we can't do that with the rule giver. And so never think that you can put God in a systematic box and say, I'm going to worship God in this way or I'm going to do these things and then I will be in a right relationship with God. Religion is never the answer to a relationship with God. It is only through Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I I don't do that. But how do we teach others? Well, all you need to do is go to church. Okay. Um, and then all you just need to walk the aisle and, and then get baptized. And then you need to read your Bible. And then you need to maybe teach the Bible one day. If you do these things, then you will be pleasing to God. No. I am pleasing to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on my behalf. We cannot put the Almighty in a box and expect our efforts and our works to maintain that relationship. We must be very careful. The Lord says in Acts 7, the same, the same book that, that blows these animals out of the water. He says this, what sort of house will you build for me? Or what will be my resting place? God is saying, you cannot build a system to worship me. You can't build a house to contain me. You can't build a box big enough. May we not do so. So what is God asking us to do? Why could God not be boxed in? Because he's asking you, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I have no, no clue why I can't, I couldn't eat an eagle in Leviticus. I have no clue why that the bearded vulture was off the menu. But I do know that God gave me that to say, trust me, trust me. You can't box me in, but trust me. I am greater than that. It is by faith. Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with the decisions in your life? Do you trust him with the decisions in your life when you don't even understand why they're given? Secondly, we see this powerful truth here in Leviticus 11. Often the Lord tells you how without telling you why. Often God tells us how without telling us why. Anyone want to take a stab? Why is the rabbit 
on the list. Um, my daughter's not here. She's in, she's in the, uh, the little kids area right now, but she loves rabbits to death. And I still don't have that, the heart to tell her that on Valentine's Day this year, I ate a rabbit. I violated the uncleanliness of this in downtown Birmingham at an excellent restaurant. I would recommend it. But she would be devastated by this. That I ate, she would say, she would point me to Leviticus eleven six and say, how dare you, dad? You violated the word of God. And I would say, well, daughter, you're only three, but through the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ, there was this sheet that came down and God said, now it's actually back on the menu. So I wanted to eat and it was a delicacy and she's not gonna understand that. But will we trust God when he tells you how without telling you why? Will you trust God in your life when he says, do this? And you say, but God, why? And he says, I've given you the how. Don't worry about the why. Will we trust God? This is, this is what I, would, I wrote as, as I was thinking about this principle in our lives. My know-how requires little faith. My know-how requires little faith. Now follow me here. God's how minus the why requires a lot of faith. My know-how doesn't require any faith. God's how minus the why requires a lot of faith. There are many times in our life that God says, do this. And our first reaction is to say, God, why? And we have ignored the how. We've ignored God Say, look, do this. And we say, well, God, you give me every reason why and then I'll do it. And we've ignored and we've rebelled against obedience in our life. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're ignoring the how because you want the why. Will you trust God when you get the how without getting the why? I can't explain to you why some of these animals were forbidden. I do know God wants his people to look different. I do know God that wants you and I to obey him regardless of whether we know why or not. This is the power of the Lord. And even if we understand all the why, Isaiah 55, eight reminds us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. This is the Lord's declaration. I was reminded this week as I was reading through this and praying through Leviticus, God did not need my approval when he spoke everything into existence in Genesis one. And I'm, and I'm gonna hurt my feelings real quick. God does not need approval now in my life. God doesn't ask me, well, Josh, what do you think about this before I decide if it's good for you? God already knows what is best for me, what is best for you. Will you trust him? It's a trust issue. Some of you, if you were living in Israel's day, you would have revolted and said, God, I'm gonna eat the camel. It was a luxury in, in the ancient world. God, I'm gonna eat the camel whether you say it or not. God, I like camel and God, I think the camel's good for me. That's rebellion. That's sin. And God has made a way to bring us back into relationship. Do you trust him with the how when you do not know the why? Because of Jesus, God has given us the key of faith to start new, the new life, the engine of new life of our car. I remember thinking today, Lord, how can I describe this in a, in a way that makes sense? Lord, how but not why? Uh, most of you, when you get in your cars later, 
You're not gonna say, God, when you tell me why this car in its entirety works, God, when you give me the Chilton manual and I know everything about it, then I'll crank it up. You don't care. Some of your mechanics and you're thinking, I got this one in the bag. But you have the key. And because you have the key, it starts the engine. And because you have the key, the car goes. Faith in Jesus Christ is the key to obedience. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Third, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything because of Christ is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. If you want to go, if you walk to your car and you see a chameleon, you can pop it in your mouth and swallow that thing whole. It is permissible. I don't know if I'd recommend it. But you could do it because of Jesus Christ. And we need to think about these implications in our life. The hoopoe is now edible. It's the bird that has that mohawk thing, that colorful mohawk on its head, dark bird. It's permissible, but it might not be beneficial. Here's the problem. We often ask the wrong questions in our life. 1 Corinthians 6, Jesus very clearly says through his word, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will be mastered by nothing. Hebrews 12, 1 reiterates the same point. Now that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Why is this important? Jesus gives us the glorious freedom to ask deeper questions. We don't have to ask God, can I? We now get to ask God, should I? And through your Holy Spirit, would you guide me? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. We get to joyfully ask through Jesus Christ, Lord, if I do X, if I eat this thing, will it honor you? God, you say that I can now eat the skink. But God, that's not the right question. Can I? The right question in Jesus is, should I? Lord, you say through Jesus, everything's permissible. I can do anything I want. But God, is it beneficial? God, is it good for me? And through your Holy Spirit, you will give me wisdom. What is God saying? He desires for you to be holy and he wants you to trust him. You know why God doesn't give us these rules now, I believe? Because we would only do the minimum. We would only do the minimum. Now, some of you would revolt at the bacon thing. You would draw the line and say, God, I'll give up anything for you except bacon. That's, that's where I draw the line. But most of us are rule followers and we would say, God, I'm just gonna do the minimum of what you asked me to do. And God says, I've asked you to do so much more. I've asked you to rely on my Holy Spirit's that I've given you. You don't have to ask, can I? The answer is yes. You now get to ask through the power of the gospel, should I? And I'm thankful that we can now ask deeper questions in our life. A.W. Pink says it this way. Most Christians expect little from God, ask little, and therefore receive little, and are content with little. Mm, let me read that again. Most Christians expect little from God, ask little, 
Therefore receive little and are content with little. God is so much greater than any box that we could put on him. Do you trust him? Do you trust him with the how, even when you don't know the why? Do you trust him that he knows best for your life than you do? He is a good, good father. And lastly, I need to live in a way so that others notice the difference. Can you imagine going to a birthday party in the ancient world? And this is a, this is a rich friend. You walk into their tent and there's velvet pillows. The servants are wiping your feet and you get to the table and they, they have found the most choice steak that money could buy and they lay a camel hump before you. And you really like camel. This is the filet, the filet mignon of the Middle East and you look at them and you say, I can't. I love camel meat. I know it's good, it tastes good, but I can't because my God wants me to look and to live differently. That's what's going on in Leviticus. It's deeper than simply theological or ethical or dietary. God wants his people to look differently. I mean, weird, weird diets have been going on from the, the foundations of the world. Before the Atkins diet and the Mediterranean diet, or the paleo diet, or the South, uh, South Beach diet, we had the Israeli diet. And it was given so God's people would look radically different. And if you think this is only an Old Testament concept, listen to what Jesus Christ says right after the Beatitudes. Right? Blessed are those who mourn, you will be comforted. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, blessed, 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 blessed. The next verse after the blessedness is... Jesus says this, dietary, you are the salt of the world, of the earth. That's dietary language. Why would Jesus remind us of that? Because you and I are called to live differently. You and I are called to live. Why are we called to live differently? Because we live in a way that we say, God, we trust you. And that it's not a mental assent. It's not a verbal recognition. God, we trust you in a way that if it costs my comfort, I will make a decision that honors you and I will trust you. God, I want the world to look at me and say, I live differently because I know Jesus. That is what trust in God looks like. Trust in God always works itself out in our life. So I simply ask you right now, do you trust him? Do you trust him? I've had many testimonies this last two weeks of people who have chosen families, jobs, and comforts, and they, instead they chose Jesus Christ. And they chose that because they said, I trust God more than I could ever trust myself and I will live differently. Does your trust in the Lord make a difference in your life? If it doesn't, I would say that maybe you don't trust God like you think you do. Because Jesus has some very harsh words for those who follow him. He said, the world will hate us because you trust me. Do you fundamentally trust God? Hudson Taylor said it this way. He was near the end of his life. He's a famous missionary. 
And he said, I am so weak that I can hardly write. I cannot read my Bible. I cannot even pray. I can only lie still in the arms of God like a little child and trust. I, I can do nothing but lie in the arms of God and trust him. Church, do you trust Jesus today? Do you trust him when he's already given the how, but he has not yet shown you the why? Do you trust him when he says, I've given you the how, but you're not gonna learn the why until you see me face to face? I know the how of salvation. I know that the Bible says that I am not good, that no one is good but God and that he sent his only son to restore and reconcile a relationship with me that I have broken. And this is how God restored that relationship with you and I. He sent his only son to live a sinless life, a life that we should have lived and we cannot. And he sent his only son into this world to die on the cross, to take my punishment to take my sin and in turn, give me righteousness. And that whoever believes in that, whoever confesses Christ as Lord and says, I will follow Jesus, will be saved. Let me be honest with you, I'm a pastor. I don't understand why that works and I don't understand why that's fair. I don't understand as a father who has a son, I don't understand why a father would let his son die for someone else that could care less about the father. And yet he loves us enough to send his son to say, if you will trust in me, if you will trust in my son by faith, the old will pass away and the new will come. Do you trust God? Do you trust him when he says, don't do that? Do you trust him when he says, do this? Do you trust him when he says, there is nothing you can do to enter into a relationship. It has already been done. It is through Jesus Christ, but you have to repent of your sin and give it all to Jesus. Do you trust him in a way that your life looks different? That is the offer of, of salvation. And I have to believe that there's someone here today that needs to accept that offer. God loves you. He wants you to trust him. Not with the why, but with the how. Do you trust Jesus Christ?